Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Man, if you can't preach after that, you're just dead on arrival. Wow. I came this close just to saying, let's have an invitation right now and be done. But I'm not. Because I want to talk to you today about Easter. I want to talk to you about Easter because we celebrate together as the God's children coming together the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we were singing that song, It Is Well With My Soul, I was struck by this fact. If you know Jesus, it is well with your soul. But if you have yet to meet Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, I can tell you, it can get a whole lot better. And you can know what it means to really know him and in the power of his presence. Now, I got to tell you, when I think about Easter, I thought about, we ought to talk a little bit about humankind and salvation. Because those are the two core elements that are found with Easter. And in doing that, I immediately began to think about playgrounds of the past. You remember when playgrounds carried just a little bit of risk? You know, monkey bars. That was before they had monkey bars that were rubberized. You climb these monkey bars, you get to the top of that, you proclaim yourself king of the hill. If you lost your footing, your head hit three bars on the way down. You learned all kinds of things on the way down. You saw stars. What about slides? You remember the old S slide? Man, that S slide would be tall and kids would get up on that thing and they would try to make air at that first, first little jump. So you know what I'm talking about. So they put bars across it at the very top because they thought that would slow you down. Don't do that to children. You know what they did? They said, if I run up and grab that bar and kind of jump before I go, I can really go fast. Others said, I know what I can do. I can flip over that bar before I go. How many of you were flippers? Yeah, I knew there'd be some flippers in this crowd. Yeah, and, and it, it, I, I was a kid in Wichita Falls, and it, it was literally hot. And I mean the kind of hot where you could literally pour an egg out and watch it cook, and it would flip itself. And you could go to that S slide, and we would go to the water fountain and get water and pour it on the slide so you could stand it. And here's the rule. You pour water until steams doesn't rise anymore, okay? But by that point, as you went down the slide, you'd hear that sound of wet flesh going, eek, 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 you know, going down. It's a lot of fun. But I think about that because for me, you, you take playground and you take monkey bars, and you take S slides and all that, and what it meant for me almost always was an emergency room. I can remember one time I was on this set of monkey bars, and I'm taking this leap to go out so that I can go grab that bar that's just a little bit farther away, and as I leapt, I learned two things. Gravity is real. And when your face hits the dirt, it hurts. Two good lessons to learn pretty early in life. 
And so I went to the emergency room because right under here, I have a cut that got six stitches because when your teeth are out below your lip, I learned that also was not a good sign. And so now if I ever try to grow a goatee or anything like that, it really gets confusing in there because it's like there was a fight but nobody knew about it. But I remember being at that emergency room and getting those stitches and, and dealing with that. And I thought about salvation. I thought about mankind. I thought about this. If you're going to trust in something or someone for your eternity, you better be really sure before you take that leap. Because everybody here, every one of us here right now, this moment, in this place, we have trusted in someone or something for our eternity. And you might say, well, I've not made that decision. I haven't really figured that out yet. Let me tell you, the failure to figure it out, the decision not to work it out, is a decision for eternity. Because eternity is coming for every one of us. Every one of us. So let's talk about what the Bible has to say first about humankind. When, God, when the Bible talks about us, what does it say? Well, there's a word I'm going to ask you to focus on. It's found in the book of Genesis. First time it appears is in Genesis chapter 1. Let me read to this. Genesis 1, 1, the very first verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light and said that it was good. Now, I want you to think about that word good. It's also found later in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female he created them, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And if you were to go through the creation story, you would count the word good being used seven times. Matter of fact, in the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, the word good is used 14 times. And one of the questions that I personally began to ask myself was this. Why does it say good? Why not say excellent? Why not God say, I created this excellent? Because if you know anything about English, and I'm about to show you the extent of mine, okay? In grammar, the superlative expresses the highest or a very high degree of quality. So, so there's your grammar lesson for today. You've got an adjective, a comparative, and a superlative. So you have good, better, and best. God's choice was to use the word good. But what's important to realize is that God's not using good as an adjective. He's using good as a noun. Because something is happening here. Because when God uses the word good, he is expressing that what he just created is an expression of his character. That when he created them, 
Male and female, he created them. What did he say? God said, let us, the Trinity, let us create them, what? In our image. God's goodness, God's character poured into that original creation. So when God says it is good, you need to know this. It means God says what I just did reveals my glory. It's a revelation of glory. An illustration of that would be found in Exodus chapter 33. Moses is walking with the children of Israel and they have come to this place where God looks and is talking with Moses and Moses says something that I think makes so much sense. He says, Lord, I just want to know you more. I want to know you better. I'm asking you to reveal yourself to me. And this is what it says in Exodus 33, 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And what's interesting about that is that when Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see the pinnacle of who you are. What God said was, to see my glory is to see my goodness. To see me as I really am is to see the goodness of who I am. That's why in Luke, when the the uh, disciples were talking to Jesus and there was one that spoke out and one said, why do you, about good teacher, and Jesus said this in Luke 18, 19, he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We use good pretty freely. Jesus wanted to make sure that there was a clarifying moment right there with the questioner that came to him is if you want to see goodness, you're going to see God. And if you are calling me good teacher, recognize what you just said. When God uses the term good in Genesis, he refers to himself, his creation, how his creation reflects his goodness, his nature, his character. But when I look at humankind, when I look at us, when I look at myself, I don't see perfection. Now, you may be here today and you think you're perfect. And if so, we can test that. Just look at somebody near you and say, what do you think? <laughs> it could be a clarifying conversation. But you see, the reality is, is that when God made creation, he made it good. God's intention was that creation would reflect and reveal his glory. And so that was to be done at every step of creation, especially in the pinnacle of creation, the creation of man and women. Nothing else, nothing else created was called the reflection of his image. And his intention was goodness. As a matter of fact, he provided them a perfect, perfect setting. He gave them the place to live. He gave them the greatest job description there ever was. He gave them the opportunity to walk with him on a continual, without any barrier basis. He gave them everything that they needed. But for them to be created truly in the image of God, there had to be one element in their life 
that is still in our life today. Free will. You see, if you don't have the choice to love God, if you don't have the choice to obey God, if you don't have the choice to respond to God, then you're not in the image of God. He gave them a choice. And even in that perfect setting, with perfect surroundings, with perfect opportunity, with no excuse, there came a place where their choice was to reject what God said and to believe the lie of the enemy. You see, sometimes you and I would say, hey, I'm not sure I would do that. I'm not sure that if I had been there, that would have taken place. Adam and Eve were representative of all humankind and represented the fatal reality that we have, which is given free will, we often make the wrong choice. And with that choice, there came a significant consequence. Sin marred God's best intention. Sin marred God's reflected glory. You see, when we experience sin, when sin came into the world, it didn't just result in sin occurring. It also resulted in the goodness of God being marred in his creation. It also resulted in what God's intentions were to suddenly be cloaked by the harshness of sin. But many times we take sin and we want to be a little bit more generous with it. I saw a study that Lifeway did of over 3,000 people asking them questions about what they thought about sin. What was interesting, 65% said everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. 65% believe that. When it came to the question, God would be fair to show his wrath against sin, only 57% said that. But here's what was interesting. Even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. 19%, oh yeah, over 50, or excuse me, over 74%, 74% said, oh no, little sins aren't worth of that. And, and the reason why that we're like that is because for most of us, we would like to see sin on a bell curve. We would like to be able to say, okay, let's just talk about sin. Let's get real about this. Let's put sin on the bell curve. And then we would say, there are little sins and there's big sins. And we all know the difference between that reality. But see, what happens is, for most of us, what we try to do is we try to push small sin category bigger, right? See, my sin is small when I compare it to you. As long as I'm staying in the right lane and I'm not making gestures, I'm a good driver. So we often find ourselves comparing ourselves to each other. The problem is, if sin is actually graded on a bell curve, how would I ever know, how would I ever know if I was good enough, you kind of be in that situation that Jim Butcher talks about, about two guys walking through the forest that met a hungry bear. He said, the key is not for me to outrun the bear, it's just to outrun you. So as long as I'm better than you, can I have assurance? 
There's also some perceptions about the afterlife. That same group of people were asked. Heaven is a place where all people will ultimately be reunited with the, their loved ones. Over 60% said that. Only those who trust in Jesus alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. 54% agree with that. But look at the last one. By the good deeds I do, I partly contribute to earning my place in heaven. I can help. It's, it's like extra credit. It's Jesus plus me. I got to work at it. Here's the problem. If I believe good deeds help me have a place in heaven, then do bad deeds help me have a place in hell? And if so, how many? And whenever I hit one of those challenge points, I like to turn to good theologians. And one of my favorite is found in a comic strip called Calvin and Hobbes. And there's this one place where they're discussing pres uh, Christmas gifts, and Calvin says this, I'm getting a little nervous about Christmas. Hobbes said, you're worried you haven't been good? And Calvin said, that's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? And then Hobbes asks a very important question. But maybe good is more than the absence of bad. To which Calvin says, you see, that's what I'm worried about. What if it's more than just the absence of bad. What if true goodness is not just the absence of sin in my life, just that I try to be perfect? What if true goodness, what if what God is really doing in salvation is recovering his image in me? How do I recover the goodness of God into my life? And that's where that leap of faith comes. That's where that leap of faith comes together. Because if you're going to leap, you just got to be sure who's going to catch you. What are you grabbing hold of? Well, I could say, well, I'm going to take a leap of faith by my good works. I'm going to do really well. I'm going to go out today. I'm going to do everything I possibly can. When I go out to that 8,000 egg hunt, I'm going to help other people get an egg. I will not take eggs for myself. I'm going to be good. But you know what God says about our good works in Isaiah 64, 6? It says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and our righteousness is like filthy rags. Because you see, here's the thing. God never says, let's compare your righteousness to their righteousness. God would just make it this simple. Let's compare your righteousness to my son who gave up the glory of heaven, who walked among you in sinless perfection, who mounted a cross and with a willing heart became sin on your behalf, died paying that price, buried and resurrected. That's the righteousness that God looks at. Our works are like a child like going to a three-year-old child and say, now, honey, as soon as you can draw a perfect circle, you can have lunch. 
there's going to be a lot of crying. Because we're not capable of perfection. We have proven that long ago. So what's God's answer? So what is God's answer to the recovery of the good, to the forgiveness of sin? What is God's answer? His name is Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3, it says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show that his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let's just break that down for just a moment. He says, this is where we are today. There's a righteousness, a righteousness, a right standing before God that has been bought by Jesus Christ. It's a righteousness that you could not get on your own. It was a righteousness that you could not afford to pay because you didn't have the ability to do it. It's a righteousness that God alone has granted to Jesus Christ. But it came with a price. It had to be bought. And it was bought by our Savior on the cross. This past Tuesday, I was at the Masters with three other pastors. It's a golf tournament in Augusta. And it's an amazing thing to get to be part of. But what, what I really get excited about was watching the logistics of how they make everything happen. And they were bringing bringing thousands of people through. So you're going through the pro shop where you can buy all sorts of stuff. And here's what I learned. There's people that have more money than cents. <laughs> I, I don't know the way to describe it. But when you're buying a polo shirt that's got a logo on it for $120, you know, if you can do that, man, praise the Lord. Don't put that in my bag. Because I'm looking for the $10 ball marker and the $15 cup. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out my, I did a couple of, you know, but, but I didn't buy any logo shirts, okay? But if you see me in one, there's somebody I can say thank you to. Let me put it to you that way. But here's something I learned. Everybody that came up through the shop, believe it or not, as you went through all this stuff, there was a place that I went to. And you know what happened? They made you pay. They had been so nice to us up to that point. There was people greeting us as we came in. The parking was free. I mean, as we were walking through, there's people, hello, I'm so glad to have you. I mean, a pimento cheese sandwich is only a buck fifty. I mean, it, it was wonderful. But boy, when it came to the pro shop, there were people there that were smiling, but you're not going anywhere, buddy. Pull out your card. And what I have to know and what we have to know is this. As we walk through our lives, we're racking up a bill. Sin isn't free. Who's going to pay it? 
The Bible says that Jesus, our Redeemer, pays for us. He buys us with a price, and, his, and the price that was exacted was his righteous life given on the cross. But the Bible calls him the propitiation, and we're just going to talk about that briefly because it says in Hebrews 9, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things that have to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. So the picture that we are given is literally that Jesus gives his life up as they sacrifice on behalf of you and I and that literally in heaven that the tabernacle that you find in the Old Testament is simply a copy of a heavenly reality. And the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, what happened by the Holy of Holies? The curtain was torn from top to bottom. And the Bible says that Jesus walked into that heavenly tabernacle, that he carried the basin of his own blood, just like the high priest would have, and poured it out on a mercy seat. And it is there for eternity, crying out, holy, holy, holy. So that when the enemy comes and says, how can Roger Yancey even stand up here and talk? Jesus would say, because my blood covers him. After all you've done, how is it that you can believe that God can forgive you? Because I didn't do anything to earn it. Jesus did. The good news of the resurrection is not just that God loves you. God died for you. Jesus rose for you. And the Bible says that he is now the intermediary and the advocate on your behalf. So that when the enemy comes and says, why should they go, get to go to heaven? Jesus says, as a six-year-old child, they accepted me as their savior. Look right over here. As an 18-year-old girl, they said yes to Jesus. Look over here. 95 years old, they said yes in the nursing home. Look over here. And all it would come down to is this. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. Of Jesus and through the blood we are welcomed in but not just that it says he is the justifier he is the restorer because he justifies us before God and he pulls back into us the goodness that God always intended now I'm not perfect yet but the Bible says we're being perfected the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when I join with him, literally, I too have been moved from death into life. And the process of sanctification begins at the point of faith and it continues because I will tell you, if you think coming to Jesus as your Savior is just about, I don't have to go to hell, you have missed out on so much. 
He wants you to experience his best. He wants you to know him intimately. He wants you to do the works of righteousness. He wants your life to be engaged so that you can experience God right now. Eternity doesn't start when you die. Eternity for you began at the moment you said yes to Jesus. But eternity also is there for those of us that never say yes to Jesus. And if we say no to him here, then we'll be without him forever. And that's a reality. And so I just want to ask you, in your own life, has there been a place where you have stopped, you have paused, you have called out to God, you've looked at him, and you say, God, here I am. I know I have sinned. I know that I have done things that have separated me from you. I know that I have not lived up to your goodness, but Lord Jesus, I come to you right now and I ask you, I trust in you as the holy, holy Savior of this world. And I ask you to forgive my sin, to come into my heart, be my Lord, live in me as my Savior from now and forevermore. And if you've never had that moment, you can have that moment today. If you never have come to the place where you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do that today. And when the enemy speaks to you and says, it's too late, I'm telling you straight up, that's a lie. Just like he lied in the garden. Because Jesus Jesus is waiting for you. He loves you. He wants you to know him. But you have to ask. You have to ask. And so I want to ask you today, have you had that prayerful conversation yet? If not, you can take that step today. Will you bow your heads with me? With the heads bowed, I simply ask that question again. Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you embraced him? And if not, in the quietness of this moment, no one's looking. I'm not looking. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask you to pray in your heart this prayer. Dear Lord, here I am. I don't understand everything. But I do understand I need you. Lord Jesus, please forgive my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. I'm going to trust in you. As our heads are still bowed, I just want to ask you, who is Jesus to you? Who are you trusting in? Because each one of us will face that eternal leap. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that as we celebrate Easter, we are reminded so much of your great goodness and your glory. I thank you, Lord, that we are able to come together today to celebrate this resurrection.
And we pray, Father, that in faithfulness we'd respond to you. In Jesus, your holy name, amen. Now, in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand up with me. And uh, when you do that, you're going to see a QR code. There it is. And this QR code is a very simple thing. You scan that with your phone or you text to it. And what it'll do is it'll take you to a very fast form that'll allow you to say, hey, I want to know more about following Jesus or this is the decision that I need to make today. But whatever God has spoken to your heart, we want to talk with you. As has been mentioned, there's a counseling room right over here to the right that there will be folks there ready to visit with you. Uh, there will be folks that you'll see with a badge. They're available to talk. There's some of us will be gathered over here by the new center. But here's the thing. It would be a tragedy to come and celebrate Easter and to miss the one that Easter is all about. So we want to make that commitment to know him to know him fully, and to experience him fully. Could I ask you just to stand with me for just a moment? We're going to have one more prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, in your name, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the revelation of your word into our hearts. And Lord, may we honor you this Easter as we celebrate your resurrection. For we pray it in the holy, precious name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.